Hi, this is uh, Dr. Chuck McGathy from Madison's First Baptist Church, established in 1841, still here today. And we are glad that you're joining us for this worship podcast. Uh, podcasting is a new thing, uh, although I shouldn't say quite so new. We've been doing it for about three years now. This is our third season and 25th podcast into that season. The title of today's message is Passionate Faith Christian. And you may have been listening in previous weeks when I've asked the question, is democracy Christian? And I've asked the question, is neighborliness Christian? And what I'm hoping to do through these is to talk about the values that form our faith and really think about those and what they mean. Uh, when Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself, that has implications. It certainly has implications in how we behave toward one another in a civil society, and it certainly has implications in how we behave toward one another in every relationship we have. But what about our faith? Is it okay to have a passionate faith? That seems like a dumb question to ask, but perhaps we need to ask it all the same because we find that there are many ways that we uh, might deny that idea, that think maybe it's better to do something else. Well, this message today is all about that. It comes from a a passage of scripture from the gospel according to Luke. It's not very long, but it's very important in its meaning. And I think for the church today, it is a matter of some thought and prayer as we think about Luke 10, 38 through 42. This is from the New Revised Standard Version. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Most of you know that lately my soul has been full of thoughts about my mother, the subject of today's message is a woman named Mary, and so also my mother has the same name. Another woman is also mentioned in the passage today. Her name was Martha. Mary and Martha are a subject of contrast. Martha is the hard-working servant, always caring for others through her self-sacrifice. Mary is seen as the spiritually curious one who looks to Jesus as the best hope for a connection to God. 
My mother has both of these qualities, and so this passage has always had a special meaning for me. There is something about my mom, Mama Mary, uh, that those who know her will never forget. She has a window in front of her chair that looks out on Choctahatchee Bay. She marvels daily at how the scene changes. We always speak on this when I call her as she is seated in her chair. One day, the bay may be calm and serene. She can see the dolphins hunting schools of mullet and watch the pelicans and osprey soar in the sky. On other days, the bay turns chocolate brown and froths as the waves pound the seawall. And then there are the sunsets, beautiful, different every day. No matter what condition the weather, it is not at all unusual to hear her take a deep breath and say, how can anyone look out on that and say, there is no God? That is only one part of a passionate faith that lies within and sustains her. And passionate faith is the subject of this passage today. Today, our scripture lesson is about rediscovering that passion, that spiritual excitement, that romance with grace that confounds the routine and breaks the molds which confine our souls. Follow along with me as I read Luke 10, 38 through 42, this time from the English Standard Version. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha... Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The account <coughs> recorded by Luke is one of those basic biblical stories that present a simple application on the surface. That is simply, it is neither industry nor it it contemplation that the Lord desires of us, but rather a heart that leans toward him. In other words, we will not impress him by our hard work, neither will we impress him by merely thinking great and noble thoughts. Jesus desires our passion, our souls, and the content of our egos. This it seems, is what Mary was engaged in that day as she sat at the feet of the Master and in contrast to Mary, who was disengaged and working even harder to make up for the lack of support from her sister. I also suppose that we, you and I, might even hide a bit of sympathy from Martha. We know, for instance, that generally speaking of churches today that 20% of the congregation does 80% of the work and financial giving. 
While I'm not sure that figure holds true for this congregation, I am sure that if you are faithful to Christ in your church, there will be there will more than likely be at times a certain resonance with Martha, who felt abandoned and obligated to take care of all the chores herself and resented her sister, who simply enjoyed the moment with the master. So it behooves us to consider anew the message of this story. In order to do so, let us first think about the two main characters the Word in Life Study Bible offers a rather succinct personality profile of Martha. Home, Bethany, near Jerusalem. Family, sister of Mary and Lazarus. Occupation, homemaker. Known today for being distracted in her preparations when Jesus and his disciples came to visit. Describing Mary is a bit more problematic. We actually know more about her than Martha, but it is difficult to connect all the bits of information. Nevertheless, we can form a succinct picture of this woman to enhance and inform our interpretation of this story. In his gospel, Luke writes about three Marys, not including Mary, the mother of Jesus. These other Marys, Mary, by the way, was a common name for Jewish girls, are Mary, the mother of James, Mary Magdalene, and Mary of Bethany. Now Mary, the mother of James, may very well have been Jesus' mother because he had a brother named James. But we don't know for sure that was the same James who was his brother, so we will leave her as Mary number one. Mary number two is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. We know several things about her. Jesus healed her from demon possession. She helped financially support Jesus in his ministry, and she was one of the women who first discovered the empty tomb of Jesus following his physical resurrection from the dead. It is from John's gospel that we learn that Mary had the sister of Martha, and Lazarus was from Bethany. Luke also wrote an unnamed woman in chapter 7 who wets Jesus' feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. According to John, this was indeed the same Mary as Mary of Bethany. Now, lest there be any confusion, let me say one additional thing about the Marys of the gospel. The early church took the position of combining Mary of Bethany with the unnamed woman from Luke 7. Augustine makes the connection. Behold, this sister of Lazarus, if indeed it was she who anointed the Lord's feet with unguent and dried her hair and dried with her hair what she had washed with her tears, was raised from the dead more truly than her brother. She was freed from the weight of her bad habits. And of her it has been said, for she was a famous sinner. So with these bits of information, we're able to discover a clearer picture of who this woman Mary was. What did it take to earn the nom de guerre of famous sinner? We do not know. 
perhaps it is best that way for if we are to confine it to one sin, a sin with which we do not personally have a problem, then we might content ourselves to be somewhat less famous in our sins and thus less in need of Christ's touch. But Scripture leaves that question open and in so doing makes us all famous sinners. Chances are Mary's fame had to do with her sin being exposed publicly, but what if you and I had our sins exposed publicly? Would we fare any better? Those of you who have read Dan Brown's runaway bestseller, The Da Vinci Code, will no doubt recall that in his novel he assailed the church for mislabeling Mary Magdalene as a prostitute. This had, in fact, happened by the 6th century, popular opinion was that Mary Magdalene and Mary of Bethany were one and the same, as well as her unknown sin being that of prostitution. It was Pope Gregory who made it an official interpretation of the Holy See. That was a theological mistake, and the Roman Catholic Church has long since corrected this error, which of course deflates some of the argument from Dan Brown's book. Now that is perhaps more information than you need regarding Mary. Suffice it to say that what is most important is she had a profound love for Jesus, which was undoubtedly based upon his forgiveness. It is a relationship of grace, and for Mary it changed everything about her life. Not only did this infusion of God's love shake her world, it shook the religious world of her day as we shall soon see. The reason why is based upon one simple cultural fact. The fact is that women were not allowed to sit at the feet of religious teachers and learn. And knowing that fact greatly redefines this story for us. This one fact gives a meaning and texture to this story that speaks volumes to our understanding of one of our great religious debates. Can you imagine how Jesus impacted the culture of his day, a day when women were regarded as beneath men and as such were unwelcome to sit at the feet of a rabbi? That ought to give pause to those who today are quick to confine women to certain roles within the church, those who restrict women from ordained activity need also to consider this challenging scripture. The mentality that limits women flies against the example of Jesus who was perfectly willing to upset the tables of the religious status quo and uplifted all people, women, children, and even Gentiles to receive and participate in the gospel. That was a trademark of the early church, and if it is not our trademark too, then we cannot claim to be following Jesus on this. Now, as important as it is, I do not think equality of the sexes was the main point of this passage. It clearly is an implication of this bit of Scripture, but it is not the sole point. The point of this passage is passion. It is about discovering the unexpected you and being who you never thought you could be. 
Following Christ is not meant to be staid and repressive, a just fit in the jello mold kind of religion. Jesus liberates us. He invigorates life and possibilities. All people everywhere are welcome to experience his liberation and live life more fully than they ever thought was possible. A rather famous Christian spiritual leader and teacher, Brother Lawrence, caught this notion. Writing in The Practice of the Presence of God, he said, the most holy practice, the nearest to daily life, and the most essential for spiritual life is the practice of the presence of God. That is to find joy in his divine company and to make it a habit of life. Speaking humbly, and conversing lovingly with him at all times, every moment, without rule or restriction, above all at all times of temptation, distress, dryness, revulsion, and even of faithlessness and sin. In other words, or better yet, in Jesus' words, I have come that you might have life and have it abundant. Oh, the contrast between Mary and Martha is still with us. With Mary, it was grace. Knowing Jesus meant liberation. No longer was she bound by her sin. People would know her for her willingness to brave the safe confines of societal expectation and go and experience Jesus fully and freely. We note her weeping and gratitude, her boldness and daring and love for her Savior. Through him, she discovered an unexpected person, the person she really was. Martha is also with us. We become like Martha when we substitute good works for grace. There is nothing wrong with good works when these are done because of God's grace, but they cannot substitute for God's grace. That is what Jesus wanted Martha to see. He wanted her to also experience what her sister was enjoying. He wanted her to, to discover the person she never expected to be. How can you discover the unexpected you? How can you develop a passionate spirituality? Charles Hothacker describes it as a series of conversions. Passionate spirituality is more for us to welcome than for us to achieve. It results from a series of conversions. Each of us is called repeatedly, invited to turn away from something and toward something else. The conversions that occur in our lives may call us to turn toward God, toward Christ, toward the church, toward the poor toward a life of prayer, toward a certain form of service, toward the world that God loves. These conversions and still others can happen to us in any sort of order and any of them can occur more than once. Each of us is invited many times to turn in a new direction. Passionate spirituality happens and happens again when we answer these calls and enter in new dimensions of the great gift of life. 
Is there a passionate faith in you yet to be found? Does God have some new area of growth and grace ready for you to move into and experience? Then come, sit at his feet and listen to him. Let us pray. Lord, help us all to lay down our dish rags and mops long enough to hear what you are saying to us. That is why we have taken time out of the busyness of our lives to hear a word from you this morning. Do not let it go to waste. Convert us again and again and again as we discover the person you want us to be. Amen.